0: Hey, it's Burnsy, and I'm Paul, and this is the Hi-Fi Sci-Fi Podcast. What? We're <laughs> we're back.
1: So, so it's been a bit, right? Um, I think we both forgot how to do that intro, huh?
0: I think so. I think we've got how to do most of this, so welcome to our free-form audio experiment in the form of a produced podcast.
1: Um, um, my next piece, I, I'm going to uh, just have 10 minutes of, of full silence here, um, and it's about the <laughs> sounds we're not making. That um, I also don't, you know, I think that would just be kind of fun, so...
0: Sure, sure. Well, and that's going to be, can can I, can we just maybe sideboard that into an offshoot podcast of, uh, of Hi-Fi Sci-Fi where it's Paul's contemplative corner?
1: Uh, Yeah, and ambient sounds. I like that one.
0: <laughs> sure. I looked, uh, I went back and looked at it before we started recording, Paul, and the last podcast, like in the regular series, because you did put together the bonus episode. Yeah, recently. Um, yep. So that just hit the feeds uh, that we recorded a while ago. Um, but it was City on the Edge of Forever. But before that posted, which was... Uh, shades of uh, Grey. Yeah, and then we did a recap too. So the season two recap that we did was posted on January 11th, 2018. And it is now, we're recording this, I guess I'll, I'll tip my hand here, we're recording this on it's September 13th of 2020. So that's that's a bit of a break. Just that's a bit. A, <laughs> a little bit. So, you know...
1: we've. we've... <laughs> Given enough time for season one and two of TNG to um, (laughs) sort of digest, dissolve, be forgotten. Yeah,
0: yeah. And and we are going to do a couple of things on, you know, on this episode and then going forward. So instead of picking right up, you know, in season three. Because it's just, it's been so much time at this point that it feels like if we're going to do anything different, now's a good time to, to you know, sidetrack things before we get back on the main quest, if you will. Um, we're actually going to talk about the newest, like the very newest up until, I guess, season three of of Discovery Starts. But the very newest Star Trek there is out there. We're going to talk about Star Trek Lower Decks.
1: And maybe the most TNG related other yes. Star Trek. Yes,
0: and and so is that is that what kind of drew you to this, Paul? Because I was really surprised. We've been talking about restarting the podcast forever, basically, and mostly that has been Paul being like, "Yo, <laughs> we're gonna record a podcast," and I'm like,
1: "Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah." Um, so
0: what what got you into like really wanting to to look at lower decks? Because you've been a hardcore like stand out like you you have been you've been resisting CBS All Access for a long period of time. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't think you've watched much Discovery. So so oh, was it boy. just the TNG-ness of this that, that drew to you to some degree.
1: It I think, um, I mean, obviously, we both have lots of Trek fan friends. And yes. um, I, I've not ever gotten, right, I've watched a little bit of Discovery, not not much. But I've never gotten a, like, wholehearted endorsement of that from anyone. Um, even the people who were kind of like, yeah, it's good. They kind of say it like that. Um, and they're like, well, maybe you shouldn't watch these parts or this part. And it's like, mm-hmm. boy, there's a lot. And when I tell people I watched like the first, uh, I think it was just the first and they're like, Oh yeah, you can't watch the first four. It's like, well, what kind of series are we talking about here? Like, and Picard, I was also interested in, but without TBS access, it was like, well, am I going to pay for it without knowing? And I also heard the very, like, super, super mixed reviews. yeah. Um, and I'll probably watch both of them again at some point. Like, let's be honest. Um, but every single person that I talked to about Lower Decks was like, yeah, this one's just good. Um, like, don't worry about it. It's just good. Um, and so, yeah, that's, I think, what it... I mean, it doesn't take that much. This one, like, clearly passed, <laughs> passed the finish line of, like, seeming like other people thought it was good. So
0: yeah and and i'm yeah well so there's a lot to unpack there one i agree 100 percent with what you're saying about discovery which is i'm in that camp too where i'm like mostly pro discovery but then there are some things that happen and i'm like "Eh." and i'll be honest the season two finale was exhausting um is probably my my one word description of, of what happened like just I don't know. There was just a lot of things that were up on the screen and not a lot of them felt important or weighty enough or, or as weighty as I think the people putting it together thought it was, but like, I'm excited about discovery and where it's going because I feel like it's shifting from prequel territory well, into sequel I, yeah, territory.
1: Yeah. And I think that's an interesting point. And, and frankly, we're, we're sitting here in the gap between season two of TNG and the season three of TNG yep um and if right if this was what what would that be like 1989 1990 <laughs> if we mm-hmm. had a contemporaneous podcast in that era we had been like boy season one and two of TNG, kind of rough um, <laughs>
0: right not yeah.
1: sure it's that great and then you have all these other good seasons that were going to come come up so it's not like i'm saying that this series is doomed forever but um yeah it's definitely it seems like a lot more work to watch than something like this.
0: Well, and so let's talk about let's talk about Lower Decks in earnest because my initial reaction to Lower Decks was um I didn't have CBS All Access, I just watched it on YouTube because CBS put it on YouTube, but they it was there for like a week. It was like there and gone. Yeah, so I think I, I, I heard
1: about it. that like on the last day or something. I was like, oh cool, I'll watch it tomorrow, and then it wasn't there anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean they were. <laughs> it's very clear that they are monetizing Star Trek because it's literally the only thing keeping oh, CBS All Access afloat.
1: <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, I mean, this isn't going to become the CBS All Access cast, but I did mention to you that, like, I watched the first episode of this, and I'm 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 staying in order. I have not watched the second yet. I'm going to stay in order for this podcast and okay. only watch them where we're going to talk about them, hopefully, if I can do that. Um, but I was like, oh, cool. What else can I watch on CBS Access? And I was like, ooh, hmm. Mm, wow there's literally nothing else
0: um <laughs> you can watch episodes of young sheldon Yeah, it has the or... backdrop
1: of netflix it's like oh cool it, it has all these scrolly menus and bars and stuff as netflix but it's like if netflix had nothing on it <laughs> it's a content not to say score. that netflix is like super dense either but i mean it's got yeah. stuff
0: but there yeah it's, it's it's going to the content store where they re- are fresh out of content and it's like well all right then well, so I did catch it when it was on uh, YouTube. I watched it and I think I think my reaction to it was probably uh, influenced by everybody else just full-throatedly recommending it when there, I mean, as you rightly pointed out, there just hasn't been that around a new Trek series in a long time where everyone across the board is like, yeah, this one's good, watch it. And I watched it and it was fine and I laughed, but at the end of it, I just kind of went like, I mean, okay, you know, I I was not uh, my my wife will often say, like, you know, there's overwhelmed and they're underwhelmed. There's underwhelmed. Can you just be whelmed? You know, that's I think that's a quote from a movie somewhere, but it's like I think I was just whelmed by it. Right. Like I was just like, that is some Star Trek. I did get a couple of of good chuckles like there were fun bits and and lots of insider stuff. I mean, way, way, way more. They're definitely playing to the base with this one in terms of like. All of the in gags that are there, which you know, again, I I at least got a you know, you know, out, out of a few of those. But, but I remember just getting to the end of it, and I'm like, that was fine. I mean, it's not great, but it was fine. Um, and I watched it again, and I I watched this. Uh, the the premiere episode is called Second Contact, and for whatever reason, and I don't know what it is. Maybe I just maybe it took me a minute to get this particular flavor from Star Trek, like correct in my brain um i really enjoyed it much more like i just i really connected to it much more on my second viewing than i was even prepared to and i then immediately watched like the second episode right then and there and then over lunch, like today, as I was like thinking about stuff, I kind of went back through some notes that I had over over the first episode of Lower Decks. And I'm like, I'll will throw on the third one too. Why not? So, <laughs> yeah. so it's it's definitely gotten to that point where I'm like, okay, no, now I just want to watch more of these episodes, and I I have no real good explanation for that other than, like I said, it's just a gear shift for me for Star Trek, you know, well, because it, it's Star Trek comedy,
1: and it feels I don't know, maybe it's one of those like once and twice shy sort of things, so, you know, there's just been such a long gap since there's been like very clearly good Star Trek, right. That isn't all about this. Just, you know, this one's good and this one's not. Um, but it's been a bit, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. been, boy, I, I, if I knew it, I, I feel like I'm starting to sing the enterprise theme song, right. It's like, it's been a, been a long Something,
0: it's been something. a long road <laughs> getting from there to here.
1: Well, and there you go. It has been a long road getting from there <laughs> to here. Um, my spoken word rendition of your uh, great singing. But yeah, well, um, it great. has been. Because, I mean, Enterprise was also kind of okay. And I think Enterprise gets a bad rap. It's, it's better than I think it has been sort of put put into the dustbin of history as. Um well okay <laughs> it's better than that <laughs> sure but I mean, um, I'll,
0: I'll, I'll grant i'll grant you that but we're we're in dangerous territory of getting into a star trek enterprise debate because
1: okay I'm that's fair
0: an, i'm not an enterprise let cut from that but, but i'm not no, you... no i'm
1: not gonna say i'm an enterprise apologist but <laughs> <laughs> let's not go there okay but i think the opening the cold open of this pilot of lower decks is itself a pilot um in that right it's um boimler boimler is the pronunciation yeah boimler is uh
0: is the 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 try hard ensign who's by the book
1: is given his captain's log in a closet and (laughs) mariner comes back drunk um and has a a balleth right A, a a klingon a klingon sword yep and immediately right it's it's all these like getting the audience to, to like lean across their chair because she doesn't, she's mispronouncing it and like is waiting for you, right? If you were in the room with her, you'd lean over and you'd say, well, actually it's pronounced this, right? We're track fans. Yeah.
0: You would, you would scream bat less. Yeah. Her. Yeah, exactly.
1: Right. And so they're getting you to do that, right? They're getting you to engage with the show right there. Um, and then like she's drunk. She starts waving it around. Um, it's like, okay, cool. It's not like this hard Roddenberry Star Trek by the books, right? We just talked about, I mean, years ago, but in this feed just recently, uh, City on the Edge of Forever. And I talked a lot about um, a character that got uh, written out, Beckwith, who was this like seedy drug dealer on the Enterprise that Roddenberry would not have any of because Enterprise crew people could not have faults, right? Right. And so here you have a character that like is drunk and waving a weapon around, right? It's It's not a Beckwith but it is saying to the audience hey this is a little different and it's okay these people have faults <laughs> and you might yeah. still like them but maybe you get your leg cut open every once in a while
0: <laughs> well well and like and I'm I'm glad you pointed out that introductory scene because even <clears throat> even from the word go um I think the reason that this series resonates with fans so much and why it when it finally kind of clicked with me why i finally was like yeah this this feels right is that even though this is star trek as we've really kind of never seen it before right because it is it's basically you know the rick and morty influences are really strong right because it's that length of a show it is focused on the comedy it's an animated series and um mike mike mcmahon i think is is mm-hmm. the is the uh show creator and was heavily involved in both Rick and Morty. And I forget what the Hulu series is that he does with Justin Roiland. Um, But it's like aliens who have come to earth or something. Um, I have not watched that one, but like, so you can see those, those influences there. Um, But, but even though it's like, you know, it's, it's, you know, bold new territory for Trek, right? Because it's just Trek as comedy. It still gets all the pieces, right? Like for instance, the first time we see did we actually see a Klingon in this episode or did we just see the Batleth? I can't remember. I think it's just a Batleth. Okay. So, spoiler alert for uh, for the next episode. This I won't tell you any plot points, okay. but you do see a Klingon. Um and it it's a Klingon, right? It's we like
1: do, We see a Bajoran, frankly. One of the um B- one bridge, of the bridge crew. Yeah, is a Bajoran, right? So yep. it's like Yep.
0: And he makes uh, he makes a reference to his Bajoran heritage, even in, I think, the second episode. And so, you know, there's there's Bolians walking around in the background, There's Bajorans, um, you know, we we and, and, you know, again, the the Klingons don't have brand new makeup because somebody decided they needed to redesign Klingons like it's literally like, again, even though all this stuff is different, like the ships look like Starfleet ships. The the alien yeah. races are the ones that we've known from from decades upon decades of world building. And, and like, you know, I don't want to discourage people from making different or interesting creative choices, right? Because we all know the the original series Klingons versus like, you know, the motion picture oh, sure. and, and sure. next generation Klingons. But it's like a lot of these choices, you know, this time around, instead of being like the jump from the original series to the motion picture and next generation, which is clearly like, we couldn't do this makeup before so we're going to do it now um you know a lot of the changes that i think happened in the discovery verse just felt like they were made because someone just wanted to change stuff and not because they had some sort of narrative or creative like drive behind it and like this i think the reason why lower decks to me just again instantly feels like oh oh my god this is this is star trek like the corridors look like period correct corridors like all of the displays look like tng displays like the bridge looks like the bridge the lounge is recognizable as some sort of amalgamation between like 10 forward on on the enterprise and like a, a bigger evolution of of that like just all these pieces it's clear that the people who were involved in this series have a lot of you know literature basically in star trek you know they're they're in they have their info lit right you know they they understand the universe and like that's really refreshing because it has really felt like at times and again like i said i'll 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 defend discovery because there is some good to be had there but it does really feel like a lot at the end of the day it's a series being made by people who aren't really that familiar with Star Trek, but they're just like, yeah, I guess I could make a Star Trek show. And this is very much a Star Trek show that it seems to be made by people who are like, man, I freaking love TNG. Like, we want to make it funny. Cool. Let's do that. That that sounds fun.
1: Well, and it's, it's one of those where um, I think the fact that it is animated is also a huge help sure. because um, even in that opening scene, right, that I just described, like um, – I keep looking down. Boimler Boimler gets a chunk taken out of his leg, right? And to animate that, it costs the same number of frames. It's just frames. But if you're doing that with a live actor, it's like, okay, well, now how are we going to make it look like he just got his leg sliced open with a (laughs) ballot? right? That's that's now much harder. And they have these new aliens, right? The the Gallardonians, right? It's like, cool, what do you want them to look like? And somebody draws you a picture on a napkin and they're like, cool, that's what they'll look like. Not this, well, how much costuming budget do we have? How much makeup budget do we have? Um, and you want there to be, you know, more Klingons or Bajorans or like, you name it. They're there on the ship because all you have to do is tell someone how to draw them. Right. Um, yeah. And uh, Trek has a history with animated series, right? The animated series. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of rough. Um <laughs> yeah. Um like yeah. borderline non-canonical, frankly. Um <laughs> right. And so I mean, I, I don't know that there's many people who are still have that in their mind and think like, oh, we tried that, because I doubt that most well, I think a lot of truck fans have not watched the animated series. Sure. Um but it's good to have another one in here that can be funny at times, but also just because it's animated doesn't mean it's always going to be funny, right? Just because right. DS Nine was right. really dark, sometimes they play baseball, sometimes right. they they play uh um what's the game something away home when.
0: Oh, the, uh
1: move along home. <laughs> move along home, yeah. <laughs> move along
0: home, Alla Moraine, Count to ten, Alamarain. <laughs> Sometimes
1: <laughs> like, move along home. <laughs> so you know, I'm not. I'm not going to be surprised when one of these uh, lower decks episodes is like a really um, serious episode or something. And sure. I don't think it's going to detract from the comedic appeal of the series to change it up every once in a while. So.
0: Well, and and I think I think a calling it Star Trek Lower Decks is obviously a huge reference to the Lower Decks uh, episode in in TNG, yeah. yeah, which is also one of the best episodes of TNG because it it does it takes that familiar premise and it turns things on its ear because here are people that you you don't know, and and, and I think that's also you know, like I said, I, I, without tipping my hand too much about the the episodes that I've watched, because I don't, I don't want to get into that, you know, a, ahead of, you know, where you are. But as I watch this series, and as I kind of like, get into it, that's also the other part of it that I appreciate is like, there's always been this implication that these starships are living cities in space, yeah. right? That there's all these people that are all working together to, to, to do the mission and to make the thing. And, and it's like, you'd never really get a good sense of that, even in the best Trek series. I mean, even in TNG, you know, there's supposed to be a thousand people yeah, on a galaxy class yeah. starship. And, and it's like these same seven people are the yeah. only thing that's ever happening all the time.
1: Yeah, <laughs> You know, right? Um, and again, TOS sometimes makes the quarters feel pretty full. But mm-hmm. again, you see the same like eight to 10 people. Um, it's like, yeah, there's other people, but you know, they're not these, and these are the ones we paid. So, and I, I love that.
0: Um, I, I think the other thing that I love, you know, just from the pilot, you get a good sense of this, and and they carry this forward too. Is like, um, <laughs> the, I love the take on the bridge crew as basically like the frat crowd, oh, right? Yeah, Where yeah. it's like they're just a bunch of like, you know, dude bros and whatever, and it's like. they're they're just pimping their own egos and they're they're super self-important and 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 i love this scene like in the very end of this first episode where um where the captain you know sits down with boimler and she doesn't even remember his last name (laughs) yep (laughs) you know she's like she screws up his last name like several times i think you know and it's like there's there's such that human quality to it that it's like yeah not every starship is going to be the flagship right not every ship is going to be the freaking enterprise like you know the cerritos feels like that workhorse ship that's being sent to the non-sexy version of a mission you know second, second contact,
1: contact. yeah <laughs> <laughs> right?
0: the whole premise of their mission from the word go i was like all right cool i'm on board right yeah that's
1: such a fun premise of an episode too of like yeah a flashy ship was here and did first contact and then now we have to go back and like do the paperwork <laughs> we
0: and show like up. set
1: up the arrays and <laughs> <laughs>
0: We double check the spelling of your planet uh you know we set up the the communications array we trade you some initial tools and uh you know we, we start bringing you into the bureaucracy of the federation which also i love that they get into that as well a little bit right they touch on the fact that that as we all have to realize and they even this is even kind of a plot point in deep space nine in some of the darker times like a giant galactic federation is kind of a nightmare bureaucracy, right? Like, oh, yeah, yeah. It would have to be. <laughs> and and they they get into that too. Like, you know, okay, well, you're now the newest planet, in the Federation. Hooray, here's your standard issue this. Here's your standard issue this. Like, we sent these jerks here to, you know, fill out all your paperwork and make sure everything is good. And all right, we'll see you at the next Federation Council meeting or whatever. Like <laughs> It's just, it's great. It's that kind of stuff that you always know has to be there underneath what's happening in star trek but it's it's completely removed of that shiny veneer of being the best crew and and the flagship of the federation and it's just you know they're out there doing the milk runs that most starships would have to be doing in a giant fleet like
1: and i think that's the right that's the twist on it right because if you pitch a a show and you said yeah it's all the bureaucratic paperwork that like goes on after after tos or tng happens like after Kirk lands on a planet and then does all the cool stuff. It's like the other ship that comes by later and fills out paperwork. Like that's a hard pitch, especially if that ship is good at its job, right? If, if that ship is good at what it's doing, that's a boring show. Sure. Um, And so writing these like flawed characters and writing these characters that like want to have fun while doing it um, and want to like kind of break the rules or, or want to hold to the rules. Right. I will also say, um, these characters are really, really well balanced against each other um, to have one that like at his core really wants to follow all the rules and one that at her core really wants to break all the rules um, mm-hmm. are a great pairing there. Um, but once you introduce and say like, well, it's going to be the people who come in second and do all this stuff, but they get into misadventures and things because they're not great at their jobs. They're They're like, they're flawed characters is yeah. a much better twist on it.
0: Well, and it's also, it's it's the demonstration between the perfect dramatic premise versus the perfect comedic presence. You know, the, the perfect dramatic presence is first contacts, brave new worlds, bold civilizations, and a really great comedic pretense is like boring paperwork, sweeping up after the stuff, <laughs> like well, people and, dude, bored with their work. There's
1: so many, right? There's so many episodes, um, especially 2S, frankly, where the episode ends and you're like, boy, They just, did they just leave that like immensely powerful being on that planet? Are they ever going to go back and like Mm -hmm. take care of that? The Guardian of Forever, for instance. Like, are they ever going to go down and maybe just like put a, put a, put up a box around it or something and then a sign that says don't touch, right? That's an episode.
0: you're, you're, um, you're referencing a loose end that famously had to be tied up in perhaps the greatest Star Trek film of all time, which is, uh you know, Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. Spacey literally concluded that way, right? Sure, like,
1: Spacey Seed is a loose end, yeah.
0: <laughs> the genetic Superman is like, well, we'll just leave him here on this planet and warp away. Goodbye. Yep. Yep. You know, yeah, Star but, Trek is filled with
1: those. But yeah. boy, I mean, here we go. I'm pitching a Lower Decks episode. They are sent to um, the... Boy, I forget the name of the planet now, but um, to the Guardian of forever to basically just build a, a, a building around it so that nobody goes in it, and then <laughs> right. and then somebody gets knocked into the Guardian of forever. There you go, great episode.
0: Yep, yep. City on the city on the edge of a long time ago, or yeah, city on the edge of not quite forever. Yeah, like I am trying to think of what uh, what what title you would give that, but that yeah, right. There is all those there is all those things like there because Star Trek. I think now is the right time for a series like this, too, because, you know, a long running series will always develop, you know, all these just tropes, whether it wants to or not. And the comedic series tearing those apart and rebuilding them is like, I mean, there's just so much gold to explore.
1: I mean, I have a podcast that has a uh, trope bingo card about the original series. So, there's a lot of tropes. (laughs) There are a lot of tropes.
0: And they they only build on themselves, right? You know, there's the TOS tropes, and then some of those make their way into the following series, and then following series sort of. Oh yeah, make everyone their has own.
1: everyone has their own, yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, TNG and both Voyager were really infamous for the the no babel right? Where it's like yep. scripts that are literally written with "we have to tech the tech," and then it's someone's job later to come in and fill in stuff that sounds like vaguely, you know, useful there.
1: Well, um, let's let's go to the specifics in the episode then, because I think there's some great ones, right? And yeah. Maybe the second part, like maybe the part where I knew the hook was in me was, um, so we haven't even talked about Tendy and Rutherford, but um, also a great writing technique to have a new ensign on, Ensign Tendi, mm-hmm. um, who is learning these things for herself along with the audience, right? Just, I mean, it's it, writing 101, but boy, you'd be surprised how many of these other series don't figure that out, <laughs> um, right. that this is an easy way to write a first episode. Um, but when she first encounters uh, Mariner and, and Boimler, uh, he's fixing a replicator that is shooting out bananas hot. <laughs> and <laughs> it's like that happened. And I was like, yeah, I love this show. They're like, <laughs> just banana hot, banana hot.
0: Well, and there's, um, there's also, um Eugene Cordero, I yeah, think, who's, who's the cyborg character Rutherford.
1: Um, I love Eugene Cordero. Um, he is. Um, well, so he is also. Um, I'm going to forget his character's name, but on uh, Tacoma FD, which is a very good show, a live action show. Okay. Um, but I recognize his voice very quick, and he's great on that show, and he's he's great on this too. Um, I don't know if he's done any other voice work, but he's got a good yeah. voice for it. He's got a very recognizable voice.
0: Well, and I think just instantly the characters. Um, in the show are you know they they do what they need to do which is just immediately you sort of like them right yeah. which is just this yeah. this team of people who are are um you know the, the other thing that i like uh very much about mariner is that um and you learn this by the end of the episode is that she has a lot more experience than she sort of lets on and and she's sort of the the lower deck's You know, almost like spokesperson, like the, you know, the real spiritual leader of the lower decks in terms of like this as an identity. And I think that's actually a really cool choice for the series to do, too, right? Because every Trek series up to this point has painted Starfleet as this organization where it's like everybody starts out doing, you know, low level work and then everybody wants to get on the bridge, right? And then you've got this character of Mariner being like, man, I've done all that. Like I've been on these different ships uh, and those people are jerks. Like yeah, <laughs> the, yeah. the people who want to be on the bridge, like, yeah, they're, they're just, all they are focused on is themselves. They're self-centered, they're narcissistic, they're jerks. The real glory is, you know, hanging out down here because you can do kind of what you want to do. Well, and, and,
1: and that is like, I mean, if you were you're on a starship period, right? It's still going to be a great time. Um, yeah. And so yeah, if you don't want all that prestige of, like, you don't want to be Kirk, um, doing all this other work is still a way to get onto a starship. Um, right. And you still get access to a holodeck, which also, um, <laughs> I loved another great line in there where Boimler uh, is, is tasked with picking what he wants the holodeck to display. And he says, computer, show us the warp core. Um and it's like oh yeah he would just rather be watching the warp core than on the holodeck
0: (laughs) yeah yeah they're they're demonstrating that and then yeah i I forget the place that that tendy is shown first because it's some place on her home planet then it's like oh i never got the time to to get around here and and be there and they they literally put boimler on the spot and they're like come on isn't there anywhere you'd rather be and it's like show me the warp core (laughs) and then the 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 sound design in this series is also really good too because like instead of you know we all know that star Trek machinery has like this really impressive sound design and all that kind of stuff, but like they literally somehow made the warp core sound slightly pathetic, like to really sell the joke. Cause it just, (laughs) it lets out this little like, well, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like that's it. And you're just like, Oh man. Yeah. It's um, it's really, really sharply put together that way too. Like the, they, they do the effort to set up the jokes and, and they do pay him off pretty well, too. I mean, there's the the scene where <laughs> I think one of the laugh out loud moments that I had, too, was the uh, when Boimler follows Mariner on the planet because he is he is ordered by the captain to keep close tabs on Mariner to, to see mm-hmm. if she's going to break protocol um and and you know not do stuff by the book and obviously she picked boimler because you know his his record is literally spotless like she's like there's there's nothing on your entire record of you ever stepping out of line um so they find these he, he follows uh mariner to you know this trade deal basically that looks a little shady like she might be selling them you know off the books tech or something which i also loved because how many tng episodes do we have where some starfleet officer be it an admiral or someone an admiral has ordered to like sell black market weapons to people yeah <laughs> and stuff like that so it's kind of that classic setup where you think it might be going that way and then she's she's all she's doing is trying to make sure that these people get some tools and she makes reference to the fact that it's like well they don't have time to wait around for like the starfleet the paperwork. Tape, right yeah yeah um but i i laughed out loud the most when they got attacked by their farm animal which happens to be a yeah. giant <laughs> spider <laughs> and, and then you know um, the Mariner is trying to save Boimler from from the jaws of this thing. And then the farmers are like, oh no, she's an herbivore. She's just going to gum him. And like, <laughs> but right before she goes to phaser him, there was the joke about where, where he's screaming, like, just phaser this thing, please. And she's like, oh, I can't. It might spoil the milk, question <laughs> mark. And then one of the farmers comes by and like stops her as she raises a phaser. No, don't. you'll spoil the milk. <laughs> <laughs> and I just oh, I don't know why it slays me, but like that. Yeah, I mean, there's, no, just, there's just a lot of little they, jokes in there like that.
1: It's definitely a writing crew that knows how to write a scene, right? Because when you look at this from a, a scene breakdown, there are there's a lot of these, uh, the scenes turn at the right points, right? Every scene has a kind of turn to it. Uh, but the episode kind of has a turn around that point too, um, because you're not sure what Mariner's doing. You're not sure what Boingler's going to do. Um, it's written really well to have that like, Turn at the roughly about the two third point, um, yeah. and then the rest is all the the comeback from that. But it's a build up, and then a reveal, and then a um, a sort of um, end of the episode. I'm I'm there's a word for it, but um, boy, if I could remember it,
0: the conclusion.
1: Yeah, that's not what I was going for, but let's put that in there. <laughs> <laughs> the, the conclusion sure. <laughs> the, okay. i think it also starts with an r but well listeners anyway um <laughs> the um yeah it's written well that's what i'll yeah. say
0: well and and so the other the other plot point to um you know the major plot point of this episode is is the the bridge crew that beams down they finish the second contact procedures and then right as uh Right as they're beamed back up, it's the commander, right, who's bitten uh, in the back of the neck by, it by is. It's
1: um point. This is the great thing. Like, it's written so well. It's, it's Jack Ransom is the commander, but um, I had to look up his name and the bridge crew's names are forgettable, um, because they're not the focus, right? They're not mm-hmm. the ones you're supposed to pay attention to, um, even though they're voiced by some like pretty heavy voice talent, um, right? Jerry O'Connell and Paul Sheer. Um, yep. Yep. Like, there's still gets, I think. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I was like, I kind of
0: do recognize that voice. And I was like, oh, it's Jerry O'Connell. Like, I looked it up.
1: Yeah, same with Paul um, mm-hmm. it's like, um, But yeah, he gets bitten, and then he brings up a virus. And then that's a whole B plot, because the B plot is about Rand, uh, not, uh, Rutherford going on a date. Um, and then all of this breaking out during a date
0: which also has some really good sequences of them just like basically continuing the date like while (laughs) also trying to save the ship um yeah there's just there's a lot of really great moments in this and what i'm also impressed by in this series is that all the plot that we laid out could be contained within a 47 to 50 ish minute episode of tng but they pack a lot in in a half hour i mean this is it's really, these shows are really tight. Like they, they managed to, to cover a lot of ground, but not feel overloaded.
1: Well, um, and I think part of that is the B plot, right? That the, the, the writing on the B plot makes it very clear that they knew they were writing a B plot. And again, that's a very simple statement, but it's not always the case that that comes across in, in track, but in a lot of series, right? That sometimes right. the B plot, when you were like, oh, was that the B plot or was that the A plot? Mm-hmm um and when the ape the a plot has has turned and and um sort of in that that end and and you're just waiting for them to get back to the ship and frankly when they do get back to the ship and you know that that's more or less wrapped then it's like cool we're gonna wrap this b plot instantly um because this guy's covered in goop turns out the goop's the magic we needed (laughs) (laughs) pump this guy full of goop it works Pump it through the vents. B-plot over. (laughs) Right? And they are literally just sprinting down the hallways, phasering people, (laughs) (laughs) rushing to this conclusion of the Um, (laughs) B-plot. The doctor's just like, the doctor has like four lines, and one of them is like, he's covered in goop that's important. Like, maybe the goop's important, and then the goop works. It cures him.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, she also has the line in there too, where it's like, uh, they talk about because it's it's uh, it's the goop from the spider, right? Yep. So it, yep. it makes it makes that interaction that uh, Boimler had with the spider pretty important. But yep. then they they make a point, like the captain actually says, like, "Well, is he important?" And the doctor's <laughs> like, like, "Oh no, 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 no. just the he's, slime. <laughs> he's worthless. We just need the slime that he's covered it," <laughs> which is great yeah the um so I was I was scrolling through some stuff to try to prep for this episode to circle back to um Jack ransom as as the commander who has a pretty nice moment in uh some upcoming episodes too um but Jerry O'Connell I managed to find this Jerry O'Connell has a description of of the character that he plays Jack ransom have you have you read this have you seen no this? I don't think so so Jack ransom first officer of the cerritos um <laughs> the or actually the showrunner um the actual the creator uh mcmahon uh compared jack ransom to next gen's will Riker if he was on speed and had less shame (laughs) (laughs) i'm like that's that's fantastic because it really is it's like it's it's amplifying all those character traits of that like kind of first officer right but but cranking them up to 11 and it's uh it's pretty great so yeah sorry that's not jerry o'connell's take on it it's um Uh, the show creators take on it which i thought was was really really nice so yeah (laughs) um yeah i it sounds like we both really like this first episode and i i have to i really have to kind of go go back to like where i was with this episode before you asked me to do this podcast and like where i am with it now and where i am with the series and it's a really good for me it's a really good reminder of giving something a chance because it's not like you know i think hills and i both watched it together my my wife and i both sat down and watched it and both of us were like yeah it's fine you know and, and like again it's not like i wouldn't have watched a second episode but i think the whole idea of putting it out on youtube was like watch this and you can get more huh um and and it should have sold me more than it did and i think again i think it was just getting my head wrapped around the fact that it's like i i need to be prepared for a trek series that's only a half hour and it's a little bit more, you know, it's a lighter take. It's it's a dessert instead of a meal, right? Where it's like all these things are, you know, there's not there's not this Star Trek like deep, meaningful drama happening here. It's taking all that and it's turning it on its ear and presenting pretty clever comedy out of it. And I just, I think it just took me a while to to warm up to it. And I'm really glad that I did because now I can't wait to get through the rest of the episodes, but. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. I think it's a testament to the fact that a good, well-written story is a lot more, um, it's just much more deeply meaningful and much more watchable than just visuals and things of that sort for no point. Right. right? Without a well-written story behind it. Um, and this does have, you know, good enough visuals. Um, we haven't even talked about the ship. I mean, ship corner. So
0: (laughs) the Cerritos, let's let's talk about the Cerritos because um, I, you know, it's basically like I've really warmed up to the design as time has gone on, but it is an almost incomprehensibly strangely laid out ship like in terms of like it's basically just a saucer section and then it has the world's largest pylons oh, those yeah. warp engines are like a m- 10 miles away from the rest of the ship and then the deflector dish is like between them somehow so i i really really hope they make a joke out of out of like the layout of that ship later in terms of like somebody having to like service the deflector dish or something and having a real hard time getting there because <laughs> um that's that's the weird thing but i will say this all of the ships that you see both the Cerritos and then in the background you see you know other ships like again they're they're of the era right like all of the pieces of that ship are recognizable as Starfleet ships oh sure yeah from the late 24th century right like this it clearly looks like and and to me honestly the Cerritos kind of looks like I think the vibe they were going for too is like surplus parts put together right? yeah like yeah you, you like know, this again, is it's...
1: the saucer she- section of the enterprise that crashed on um oof. what planet was that
0: oh boy boy that would be a good trivia question because yeah, boy. i'm not remembering <laughs> in, um, um
1: that's in generations right yep um yeah. hi paul here in post it's viridian 3 but they just like salvage the saucer and they're like, yeah, hey, the rest of it's not good. Let, but we got this part. Let's just slap it on. You know? <laughs> we
0: can just strap all this stuff together. This is, Let's this go. is a
1: uh, California class though, right? So it is a, they made other ones of this, but. Supposedly.
0: Yes. I mean, at least canonically, there has to be a USS California out there yeah. with this exact layout. So, um, so it's at least the second of its, of I its line.
1: So do you have trouble not? calling it the USS Doritos let's toss it out there
0: <laughs> well and and can we also talk a little bit about um the actual show like the show intro um because I think I think honestly that's where I knew I would like this show no matter what happened like even on the first uh run through um I fell in love with that that show intro because it's literally just the ship like you know getting pelted by rocks and being thrown into a a space anomaly and then like you know heroically soaring above an an icy like asteroid or planet and then just like accidentally nicking the warp nacelle and then sort of like losing power uh and then it just straight up nopes out of a giant conflict with the borg (laughs) you know like it it really does a great job of selling like you know every other trek boldly goes and this one's just gonna kind of
1: we're gonna do some stuff We're
0: we're gonna not we're going to do different things the
1: the theme too um right if i had just been in a room and that theme played it's so unmistakably trek so unmistakably um tng really but trek in general i think yeah yeah
0: they get they get so many of the little details right and i think that's why i think that's why this is the series that that a lot of like really you know long-term trek fans have have kind of really gotten geared up about because it is it is a you know star trek minutia is important and it's really it's really easy to dismiss that as like huh, nerds but it's like when you have the original series next generation deep space 9 voyager enterprise all 10 feature films Oof, yeah. um you know i mean all that that stuff that is over 50 plus years at this point um you know it's important that stuff matters to to the fans and being able to speak that language competently speaks to people who understand and get the franchise um, and want to get those details right even in a series where they're doing send-ups of that same stuff like I-, I think i think the reason um uh is it galaxy quest is that what i'm remembering galaxy quest yeah, yeah. Is the uh 1999 film which is why some people say Uh, that's the best star trek film (laughs) that's that was never made yeah uh or or you know was made but it's not actually a star trek film i mean that's the same thing right it it takes all of those star trek like tropes but embraces them lovingly right like it it's it's sort of it's in on the joke with everyone else like star trek fans are not afraid to laugh at the culture the you know the tropes in the show like the goofy things that happen we all know that's happening we just want people to also like speak the language and get it right. And I think both that movie and this series are, are understanding that line, right? Where it's like, it's all fair game. You can make fun of literally all of it. You just have to also understand it. And, yep. and, and this series does. And and I think that's why it's, it's been a lot of fun and why I'm really amped to talk about more of it. So.
1: Well, and time-wise, right. I think I did look this up, but it's, it's more or less right after, um, TNG ends, right? Because it's
0: 20... 2380 80? is what the heroes is listed yeah. as. Yeah.
1: And I just looked up Star Trek Nemesis takes place in 2379.
0: Oh, wow. So it literally picks up right after your Trek 10.
1: Yeah. All Good Things is 27, 2370. So okay. there's a 10-year gap, well, 9-year gap between All Good Things and Nemesis, where presumably First Contact and Insurrection and um, the other one nemesis take place (laughs) but um yeah so it's a year after nemesis
0: well and can i also say that maybe that's worth pointing out that that i think another reason why i know for sure it's a reason why i'm excited about season three of discovery and why this series feels important too star trek has always been a series about looking forward and i think I think the unmistakable takeaway that you can get from all of the failed outings of star Trek. And it feels rough to call enterprise that, but I would say on the grand scheme of things, enterprise it's was not in the successful. Top
1: 50%. Yeah.
0: You know. Yeah. It's that I think even more so than star Wars, star Trek is a series where no, we want to, we want to see the future. Like we want to see things that, that progress past this point.
1: Um, well, so, um, yeah, it's, it's Beetlejuice rules here. So, um, I can't evoke Star Wars unless you say it first, but you did. Um, okay. Uh And yeah, I mean, I've always, uh, prequels are hard to write and whether or not you, you want to, whatever you think of the Star Wars prequels, prequels are hard to write. Um, and it shows in a lot of places, I think. And so I'm always kind of down on prequels at their core, just because they're so much harder to get right. Um, it just takes so much more effort, and you, we see that in all these different places, right? Um, yeah, all yeah. these like big, big um, properties. Even if you look at something, I mean, fantasy, right? Lord of the Rings, uh, and then I mean, The Hobbit is a very good book, um, but as as you try to write it as a movie after you've already done these other movies, that's difficult mm-hmm. too, right? And we see mm-hmm. that um, in, in how that was portrayed. It's just lots and lots of these types of examples um prequels are hard um yeah prequels well are you're
0: hard. in you're in that narrative trap which is you can't do anything to the main characters because we know they survive yeah a certain set of
1: characters are immortal yep. yeah
0: and you can't introduce too many brand new characters that we've never heard of that are significant because like if Nuke they're so Gunray. significant <laughs> right right because if they're so significant why have we never heard of them before this point yeah. you know so you're in that weird catch 22 right yeah. where it's like yeah you're 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 trapped almost immediately um so so yeah i mean i'm that's pretty much all i have for for lower decks i i actually i think there was more there than i was even prepared to talk about because um you know one thing that i did notice about this show it's not that and this is going to sound like a slight and i don't mean it this way it's that like the specific plot points of episodes don't stick with me as much. And I think it's mostly just because it's about the character interactions for me. No, I'd um, agree with that, but that, that, I, that I get more of a kick out of,
1: right. This, this first episode is not about the second contact with the Galarian's, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> that's not, that's not the takeaway from this one. So <laughs> yeah, um, it's
0: about learning who, who Boimler is and um, you know, who Mariner is and, and, yeah. and you know, first meeting Tendi, um, and and, yeah, and who Rutherford yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah exactly and and getting getting to understand that rutherford is is a cyborg who would love a relationship but also really needs to understand why that door would not open
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i'm curious
0: yeah yeah but i just i love the fact that relationship immediately over because it's like can you believe she didn't even want to check it out (laughs) good stuff so um that's it that's our first episode original episode recorded in over two and a half years uh shout outs to um star trek lower decks for making it happen um so we are we're gonna explore more lower decks and then i think we'll get back to uh season three of tng yeah yeah, the that's Hi-Fi fine, Hi-Fi so. podcast. yeah yeah so and i'm excited to get into season three of tng because i've been watching a lot more tng and actually paul for the first time ever uh this last week i watched uh star trek the next generation with my seven-year-old son mm. and he actually really liked it so
1: and so th- you could not have been watching seasons one and two
0: right exactly that like, <laughs> nope <laughs> we yeah, i was i'm cherry picking at
1: this point it's like, i want to pick
0: good episodes i don't want to scare oh, them man. Away.
1: <laughs> so oh man yeah season three's you. got some gems in it so i cannot wait to go back to that too but Black i'm white. I'm happy with this uh lower decks interlude for a bit it's been the wheels back up
0: exactly so if you, if you want to reach out to us you know how to do that so or maybe you don't because it's been two and a half years uh hi-fi Sci-Fi has links to our facebook our twitter account uh, in our podcast rss uh, we're going to do some maintenance on all that stuff so if you see anything weird and like the podcast isn't populating correctly or any of that kind of stuff feel free to to shoot us a note um but we'll we'll be back here on a semi-regular basis i think
1: at this yeah point i'd say uh tell your friends write a review those are much more important than anything else you do um yes and uh, it's worth pointing out um we have other podcasts. We, you could listen to those too, right? Uh, that
0: right. is true. Shout out to uh, to the Missing Save File. If you search Missing Save File and find MissingSaveFile.com, it is a podcast that Paul and I have been doing for a little while. It's a monthly podcast uh, where we do deep dives on video games that are in our piles of shame.
1: Not yet a Star Trek one, but maybe.
0: <laughs> Paul, have you ever played the Star Trek Voyager Elite Force game?
1: You know the answer to that, and it's no. That
0: feels like future podcast material over on missing save file. So there we go. Uh, Uh, Has has
1: anybody played that game, but you is is... Star Trek elite force.
0: Excuse me, sir. How dare you? Uh, Star Trek elite force is a, is a beloved. uh, I'm sorry.
1: Voyager was in there too. And (laughs)
0: listen, I will defend Voyager, even though there are many questionable episodes, but Star Trek Voyager elite force is a fantastic video game. I will reinstall it. Very soon. But That's a conversation for another time. That's going to do it for our first episode on Lower Decks. Next time, uh, here we will be talking about the second episode, uh, which is Envoys, where Boimler is assigned a mission to transport the Klingon General Corinne uh, to the Federation emba- uh, Embassy on Tolgana 4. As you can imagine, it does not go smoothly. So, um, until then, I'm Bernsey,
1: I'm <laughs> Paul.
0: And we'll, uh, we'll beam down to the next second contact together. Next time.